Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the, uh, the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Although it's going to be some minutes before we get there, I want you to, to uh, be prepared so that we can read from it when we get there. Philippians chapter 2. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on an amazing journey. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are on an amazing journey. That journey began when you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that may have been last week. There were three people last Sunday that surrendered their lives to Christ. Glory to God. And, and, and it may have been last week. It may have been last month. It may have been a year ago, two years ago, or 25 or more years ago. It may, but whenever it is that you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you realized the enormity of it, at the, and you couldn't at that point, but in that moment, you began a journey that would continue from that point until the end of your life and beyond. Because you have to understand that our relationship with Jesus Christ does not end at the point of, of death. It, 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 it then becomes transformed into eternal life, and we will be together with Jesus forever. Glory to God. Now, in heaven, I've shared this before, in heaven we are not going to mark time there like we mark it here. We're not going to wake up someday and go, I've been here for 6,000 years already. We're not going to figure it like that. But I promise you that in, by our time standards, 6,000, 10,000, 100, a million years from now, we will look back and say that's where it began. That's where the journey began and it continues forever. Hallelujah. It's the single greatest decision that we can ever make is to begin that journey in following Jesus Christ, surrendering our lives to Him. And it continues for eternity. And yet some people, yet some people now in this life, there are some people who stop in their journey of following Jesus Christ. They surrender their lives to Him they recognize their need for the Savior. They recognize that salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ. They surrender their lives to Him and they, they begin to serve Him, but something comes up or some things come up. Something becomes more important and after a while they stop in their journey with the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the most tragic things that many of us have ever seen. Certainly, it's the most tragic thing that I've ever seen in my life. I've seen a lot of hard things and harsh things, but nothing more tragic than when, than when someone who is serving Jesus Christ eventually, in ways great or small, turn their back on the Lord Jesus Christ. They stop the journey. In recent weeks, we have seen from God's Word some of the essentials that can make a difference in our going the distance because that's really the goal, to go the distance. That's what, we've been, that's what we've been calling this series. We don't have the graphics this morning like we usually do because the projection stuff is still down. We're kind of limping along. But, but we, we've been looking at, at these, these different elements, these essentials of going the distance. What are the things that that the Bible gives us to do to be so that we can continue serving Jesus Christ with a passion. We've been looking at some of these essentials. And by, by essentials, I don't mean uh, the things that will just get us to heaven, but things that are going to make a difference while we're on the journey. See, I think this is one of the most, 
insidious things that the enemy has perpetrated on followers of Jesus Christ, and that is this, that the goal is getting to heaven and failing to understand that in the meantime, before we get to heaven, there's a lot of things that he wants to do in us and through us. I've got water right here. Thank you, honey. There are some things that he wants to accomplish in us before we get to heaven. You know, I don't want to get to heaven just with empty hands. I want to get to heaven having accomplished something of eternal value in my lifetime. I want that for you as well. I don't want to just pay up the insurance and get to heaven. I want to say in the, <clears throat> in the 10 or 15 or 20 years or two months or one month or however long I have and you have, I want to affect someone on the journey. We used to have an associate pastor here a long time ago. His name was Aaron, and, and he used to say this. He said, <coughs> be there and have, be there and bring someone with you. I love that expression. I don't know if it was, if it was uh, he, he's a smart guy. I don't think he was that smart. I don't know if that was original with him. But I like that. I want to be there, but I want to bring someone with me. <coughs> I want to affect the people around me in the life that I have. So what are the essentials? What are the things that, that are going to make the difference in us not only getting to heaven, but making a difference in the meantime? Essentials in going the distance. Some of the things that we've looked at is essentials like, like time in God's Word. I, and I challenged you. I think it was about eight weeks ago that we started this series. And, and I challenged you at that time. I want you to get in God's Word at least four times every week. To, to four different days, <coughs> setting time aside and say, I'm going to get into God's Word. <coughs> Not because it's some kind of a, you know, empty practice that, that makes no difference on in, 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 in eternal sense, but <coughs> something that will, that will feed me spiritually. Some of you, <coughs> excuse me, some of you have been, have been trying to walk the Christian life and, and you're leaning only upon that sermon on Sunday or an occasional sermon as you're driving down the road listening to something <coughs> or a devotional that is brief and takes all of about one minute to read. Now, I have nothing against those things, but if that's all that we're getting for spiritual food, then we are starving. And we need to be people who, who not because it's, it's check the box and, you know, it did that thing, but we need to be people who are in this word and allow this word because it will feed us. It will, it will strengthen us. It will nourish you spiritually like nothing else. So I challenge you again. I'm going to continue as long as we're doing this and even beyond that. I want to challenge you this morning. Some of you started and you, you didn't continue. I want to challenge you. Get in this word at least for it. It'll make a difference in your life. That was one essential. We looked at prayer, talking to God, conversing with him, him speaking to us. Yes, that can happen. The importance of prayer in the life of the leader. It's, it's an essential in us going the distance. We saw how gratitude, several weeks ago, we saw how gratitude, how being grateful is an essential, grateful to God for what he's done, is an essential for us going the distance. Are you a grateful believer or are you a grumbling believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ that is overwhelmed with what he's done are you, or, or are you a spiritual ingrate? I, I want to be a, a person who's grateful to God every day for what he's given me. 
It's one of those essentials. Two weeks ago, excuse me, Pastor Brad, several, three weeks ago, Pastor Brad shared what we're to do if partway through the journey we falter. We falter. You, you, you make a decision that, that has a negative spiritual effect upon you. And, 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 and you sin, you, 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 you turn your back in ways great or small. And, and what do you do when that happens? Do you give up? Do you quit? No, you don't. You continue. You get back up again, and by God's grace, you continue following him. What was that verse from Proverbs? The righteous man falls seven times. The righteous person falls seven times and yet rises again. That tells me that sometimes righteous people make bad decisions. Sometimes righteous people fall down, but... By God's grace, they get back up again. In God's strength, they get back up again and they resume the journey. This morning, if you have made a decision, you've, you've, you've done something, you've thought something, you've, 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 you've allowed some kind of a, a sin into, into your life and, and repent of it, by God's grace, stand up and continue following him. It's an essential. <coughs> Two weeks ago, I shared how being a part of a gathering of believers, <coughs> what the Bible calls a church, it's also one of those essentials, a church. You were here, you remember I did the little thing from when I was a kid, and you learned as well how, how this, is, this, is the, the little, this is the church, and this is the steeple, and you open up the doors, and you see all the people, and and really, it's, it's the people who are the church, not the, not the structure, right? I'm very grateful for structures. I'm grateful for this structure. I'm grateful for our facility. But if this facility were gone tomorrow, then next Sunday we would meet someone somewhere else and we would still be the church because this is the church. Uh, I, have a, I have a cousin who's a, a missionary. She and her husband are missionaries in, in China. In fact, I think they're the ones highlighted today. I just, just realized that. They're, they're, they're the ones, they're, the, they're missionaries. In, they don't have churches, buildings there. They don't have structures there, but the church is growing. The church is growing, glory to God. It's happening because this is the church. It's one of the essentials. If you want to continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with a passion, if you want to go the distance, then this has to be something that is very, very important to you, a commitment to a gathering of believers. Began looking at that this two weeks ago, and, and I continue on this morning. When Jesus called his first disciples, there were 12 initially, when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, they began a journey that initially took three years, but then, of course, continued on after that. One of them did not go the distance. His name is Judas. He's a, he's a very well-known casualty, spiritual casualty in the Gospels. But 11 of them went the distance. 11 of them eventually went to heaven Eleven of them continued to serve the Lord and change the world around them. They began an amazing journey. And what those first disciples, what those first disciples saw and experienced and learned in the three years in which they followed Jesus while he was on the earth, in those three years, what they experienced was truly amazing. And everything about them, those, you can read about their story in the Gospels, but everything about those first disciples Everything about them was transformed. Everything. Their past, their future, 
their baggage. Man, some of those guys had big baggage. Everything about them was transformed. Their attitudes, their plans, their aspirations, the things that they valued, everything about those disciples, those first disciples, was transformed. Everything changed as they followed Jesus. Nothing was beyond the reach of his transforming power. Let me tell you something. If you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ recently or a long time ago, I need to tell you or remind you again, nothing is beyond his transforming power. Some here this morning may be tempted to think the enemy, this is a, this is a lie from the enemy, that that thing, that stronghold or that attitude that that is just who you are and there's nothing that's going to change it and I reject that outright because I believe that God's power is greater. His transforming power. So we can't say well that part is off limits. It wasn't off limits to those first disciples. It's not off limits to us. Here's the thing. Those first disciples what they didn't know What those first followers of Jesus, I don't think, could know at the time was how much they would become like Jesus in part because they traveled the journey with each other. I pointed this out two weeks ago, how when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he also called them to go on the journey together. They didn't have one-hour meetings, and then they would go back to their places and never interact with each other except in the lobby. It wasn't like that. When he called them to follow him, he also intentionally called them to do the journey together. And in that, he sent a very clear message that this thing of following me is not something done solo. It's to be done in relationship with other followers. Let me say this again. Jesus used his followers to shape and prepare each other and to serve each other. One more time. Jesus used other followers. Jesus used other disciples to shape and to prepare and serve each other. One disciple was different in 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 the greatest way because of Jesus' relationship with them, but they were also changed because of their relationship with each other. That word serve that I just used is very significant. Serve. Serve. Very simple word. Serve. Those disciples shaped, prepared, and also served each other and in time other followers of Jesus Christ. I, I recently, um, about 10 days ago, I did a word study on a biblical word study. I, I will do this sometimes because when you see a recurring word, um, it's good to just kind of, what, what does that mean in regards to the whole context of Scripture? And I did a word study on the, on the, the word serve. And I found that the word serve appears, get this, 52 times in the New Testament. I don't know if this is worth pointing out, but that's like, that's like one for every week in the New Testament, right? The word serve. 
And uh, that's, that's a lot of times. Serve, it's always good to know the definition, uh, biblical definition. Serve means to minister to, to wait upon, or to care for the needs of another person. Let me say that again. Serve means to minister to someone, to wait upon someone, or to care for the needs of someone else. It doesn't mean self-serving, because that's all about us, but rather serving means that I care for the needs of someone else. And, and, and the, the New Testament, just the New Testament, the word serve is used 52 times. Now, there's a similar word, and that is the word servant. A, a servant is one who serves. And I was really shocked. Again, I did this study because that's a variation of the word, and I found that the word servant, or one who serves, appears not, not 52 times, but quite a few more. 157 times, just in the New Testament, the word servant appears. That's a lot of times. And nearly every time the word servant is used, it's a commendable thing. It's a good thing. In other words, a servant is someone who is not disparaged in Scripture, but rather commended or applauded in Scripture. You want to find heroes in the New Testament? They're servants. Jesus was one who talked about servanthood, and Jesus also displayed servanthood. Now, uh, again, words, I like words, words... Words just mean a lot. To, I, 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 don't, I don't speak multiple languages like some of you do. I, I only speak English, but I, I, I like words. I like, to, I like to see what words mean. And, and so I, I did another word search. Ready? Here it is. I looked up the word entitlement or entitle. Any, any, any guesses how many times? Well, let me just tell you. Uh, because because uh, zero. No times whatsoever. Not one time does the word entitle or entitlement appear in the New Testament. I, and I didn't check Old Testament. Maybe it, I probably not there either. Not one time. Entitlement. You understand what entitlement means? It it unlike servanthood is very self-serving. <laughs> It is, it is all about me. Entitlement means I have something that is due me. Entitlement means I have something that I, I receive, I am to receive something that I deserve, or at least that's the, the understanding. Entitlement is not about me serving. Entitlement is about me being served or me receiving. I also did just for kicks, that's what I do for kicks, just for, just for kicks, I searched the number of times the word rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, the number of time, the times that the word rights appears in the New Testament, and it came up only four times. Just four times does the word rights, referring to our rights, only four times does it come up. Yet each time the word rights appears, it says that we are to set our rights aside. Isn't that interesting? 
The only times that the words rights, the word rights is used is when we are to give them up. It is, it is when we are to surrender our right to something. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've begun that journey, if you, if you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and you're walking beside other followers of Jesus Christ, we are to walk this journey that we are called not to receive, not to demand our rights, not to stand upon our entitlements, but we are called to serve, not to be served. Now that, that, is, a, that is a kingdom principle that is relatively easy to understand and really hard to do. Because in reality, while we acknowledge, yes, it's important not to be served, but to serve, doing it is often an entirely different thing. I don't know, I don't know about you, but boy, sometimes I want things to be all about me. Anyone else here? There are days when I, I'm, I'm tired and I go home late at night and I, boy, I just want it to be all about me. Well, that doesn't set very well sometimes, and it shouldn't. And yet our world, our world says it's all about us. You, you, you see advertising and the mentality or the idea that is that is given again and again, it's almost overwhelming, is you deserve this, you've earned this, you're entitled to this. So many people will demonstrate because they feel as if their rights have been taken away. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dismissing human rights. I'm not, I'm not putting down that there are some things that, that, that are important to have and to possess. And yet so many times people's perceived rights have been taken away. And it's not so much about that. It's because it's all about me. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to serve each other. We are to minister to each other. We are to be caring about the needs of Others, How contrary to the prevailing sentiment of our world. Now, how does this, how does this relate to a, a church? Well, it's interesting, some months ago, maybe close to a year ago, I read a book and I, 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 it meant so much to me that I bought copies for all of our pastoral staff and, and uh, we went through the book together. In, in this book, and I think we have it in the library and, 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 and uh, I'll, I'll can get it to you later. But uh, in the book, the author shared how many 21st century American Christians, so we're, we're kind of, you know, that's a, that's a it's, it's not all about Americans, but just the study that is done, his observation. Many 21st century American Christians treat the church or view the church or regard the church A gathering of believers, right? Not, not, not this, but this. Many 21st century American Christians regard the church not as a place to serve, but instead they treat it like a club. They treat it like a club. Like a, a place where people gather together, not with similar missions, 
Not with a similar mission, but with similar likes. The club. Clubs are exclusive places. When I was a boy, um, we, we lived in a home, and I, for a few years, lived in town, in, in the town where, where uh, I grew up, and, and not too far from our house was this kind of a, a wooded area, and there was a tree there, and so we got some scrap lumber together, and we built a tree house, and, and we, you've seen this, kind of depicted, so, and we had a sign up there, no girls allowed. I think some girls actually went up there, but it was our clubhouse, and, uh, and, 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 and it was exclusive. It was our little club, and, and we had certain little things that you had to do to become a member of the club. There, there were certain expectations that we had as a club, and sometimes this club mentality continues. Clubs are exclusive places where only certain people can be there. Clubs cater to the need of club members who pay their dues. Now, if you happen to be a part of, you know, some club or something, you know, I'm, uh, that's fine if, if that's what it is. But, but club members have to pay their dues. They have to pay a certain amount to continue to be a part of the club. Clubs are member-centered, and clubs can, I don't say that they always do, but clubs can become a source of great pride. I'm a part of that club. I was accepted into that club. That's the club to which I associate. Let me tell you something. This is not a club. This place, by that I mean the people, this gathering is not a club. It is not a place exclusively for certain people. It is open to anyone who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of hang-ups. Now, here's the thing. Here's where it's different. Because the powerful thing called the church is that Jesus Christ transforms people, and while anyone can come, Jesus is going to change everyone. That's the difference. Because His power is great. This is not a club. Let me say it again. This place is not a club. So get that mentality, if you have it, out of your mind. Your tithes and your offerings are not your club dues. Some of you think, well, boy, maybe you've come from a tradition where if you don't, if you don't give your tithes or offerings, somebody's going, we're not going to call you. We, we don't do that here. We're not going to check up on you. In fact, let me just be straight up with you. I don't know how much you give. I have chosen as a pastor not to know who gives and how much. We're not going to call you up if you don't give your tithes and offerings. But if you think that your tithes and offerings are club dues, you're wrong. If you think that because you give, you have certain rights you're wrong. By the way, I am neither your entertainment nor your club manager. It's not my role. Man, if, if I'm your entertainment, you can do better. Let me tell you. I'm not the manager of the club. In fact, I'm going to be so bold to say this. 
that if you come here expecting exclusive perks and privileges, then you probably need to go somewhere else. This is not a club. We are not here to be served. We are here to serve. I shared a couple of weeks ago that so often, and I used a different kind of an analogy, um, but so many times people regard a church like they do Walmart. And, if, and if, if, if I like it and I know where everything is, I'm fine, but if all of a sudden they change things, then I'm going to I'm gonna become a target person. And if I don't like that, then I'm, I'm going to go to Shopco. And if something really up, gets upset at Shopco, well, I'm out of, because they closed Kmart and you can't go there. And we treat church like, 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 like sometimes a store and sometimes we treat it like a club. And I'm saying that both of those understandings of what a body of believers is, is absolutely patently wrong. We are not here, you did not come, I trust you did not come, to be served, but this is a place in which we serve others. That because we walk the journey with other followers of Jesus Christ, then you're following Jesus better because of me, and I'm following Jesus better because of you. Because when I gave my heart to Jesus and began following him, I also started the journey with other people. We're called to each other. And that means sometimes that if I see or if you see someone else who is faltering on the journey or if you see someone else who is stumbling or making decisions that could, that could literally imperil their eternal life with Jesus Christ, then it's not only me who has responsibility, it's you that has a responsibility. Now that bothers some of you. We are our brother's keeper. We are. I'm just going to throw this in. I did not plan on saying it, but I'm going to say it. Some of you, some of you are aware of people that used to walk the journey, who used to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even who sat just down the pew from you. And something came up in their life, and they, they made some choices, and now you're wondering if they're still following Christ. And you've not called them. And you've not contacted them. You've not checked up on them and say, I love you so much, and we, we walk this journey together so much, I'm going to follow up on you because I care for you. And you've not done so. And I challenge you, you need to do that. Why? Because we're not here just to be served, we're here to serve. And we're to walk this journey with other people. And we're to encourage them in the faith. We're to walk with them in the faith. And I'm not talking about just this church. I'm talking about the, the, the gathering of believers around this community and around this nation and around the world. But if we see someone who is walking away from Christ, it is incumbent upon us to serve them by bringing them back. Not necessarily to here, but into the, the gathering of believers. We are not here to be served. We are here to serve. In Philippians chapter 2, you're there, you have your Bibles there. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that we are called to follow Jesus' example of service. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following, read this way. Have this attitude, right? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's, here's, a, here's a very rough paraphrase, all right? This is a, the Gary Wildman paraphrase of what I just read. Jesus is and was God, but he chose not to demand his right to remain in that role in heaven, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became a man. That's what we just celebrated. The incarnation, the embodiment of God. He humbled himself and became a man and lived, even he became a servant even to the point of giving, giving, not getting, giving his life on the cross so that we might have eternal life. <laughs> the Holy Spirit through Paul said it far better, but that's, that's what that means. We are to take on the attitude that Jesus had, and that is, it's not about me getting, it's about me ministering. It's not about me just walking this journey. It's about me touching other people's lives along the way. We're called to do this. Let me tell you something. I love the church. I really love the church. I, 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 could, I could speak at length about the number of people who are in my life who have, and who were in my life who made a difference, and I'm serving Jesus Christ today. A few days ago, I was with my parents, and a gentleman came to visit my dad, and he wanted to thank my dad and I, I, for, for some things. And, and afterwards, I walked him to his car, and we were out standing by his vehicle. His name's Bobby, and I said, Bobby, I said, thanks so much for coming by. Why did you want to do this? He said, I just wanted to thank your dad. He said, my dad, he said your dad was my, was my Sunday school teacher. Bobby's like 60-something. He says, your dad was my Sunday school teacher years ago, and he said, I'm serving Jesus in part today. I'm serving Jesus differently today because of what your dad did. And I thought, that's the church, right? That's just one example of the church. We, we are not doing this thing solo. We're going on this journey together. We're affecting each other. Sometimes we're getting in each other's face and saying, I care for you so much that I don't want you to continue to do this because if you keep doing this, you're going to, you could go to hell. Wow, that's pretty strong. Or let me walk with you. Let me go through this difficult time with you because you're hurting, you're struggling. I, 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 you're hurting, therefore I'm hurt. We're, we're called to do this together. And I'm committed to you as a fellow believer because we're a part of the same church. This, not this, this. We're part of a church. I love the church. I love how we're called to walk this journey to go together, to go the distance with each other, and how we're called and commanded to in the limited, the, folks, the limited time that we have on this earthly journey. We are called to become Jesus' hand extended to a wounded and hurting world around us. We are called to serve. 
And, and, and if, if we come, if we gather together with other believers expecting to get, then we'll never change the world around us. We're called to make an eternal difference in other people. I'm going to ask someone who for some years has been walking this journey, walking her journey with other believers in this church, to come to the platform. Laura Gennerke, would you come? Uh, without giving away what she's going to share, Laura, yeah, grab that. Thank you, Laura. Come on up here. Without giving away what Laura is going to share, um, uh, some remarkable things have happened to Laura in recent weeks, and uh, you called me. You called me recently to, uh, um, and you asked if there was a place for you to share this. And uh, quite honestly, as I shared with you on the phone, um, as soon as I heard it, I knew that you were supposed to share it as a part of this message. And uh, so, Laura, share what God has done and, and uh, share with these people, these fellow followers. Is this on? Oh, it is. Okay. Good morning. I don't know quite where to start. Um, last night I was cooking supper for my family and uh, I was listening to some praise music and I just felt the Lord. It was just like a download immediately and he wanted me to share a few things with you that, that these events, these last few months have, have brought about and just some things that he's been working with me on. Um, saw my dad for the first time in over 10 years a few months ago in Walmart, found, saw him in Walmart. Um, my dad is, I do not want to dishonor my dad. I don't say any of this to dishonor him in any way. But I know God wants me to share something, and I know where my dad is today, and I believe that he would want me to share this with you as well. So, my dad is an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. He has been in and out of my life since I was about seven. Um, many strongholds, many struggles. I loved my dad very much. I've forgiven him for much years ago, years ago, but just hadn't seen him. It's difficult to see a loved one do to themselves what he did. And to be able to be 100% for my family, I had to stay away. My dad had stayed away for many years as well. Um, so anyway, I saw him in Walmart. And uh, on his 6'2 frame, he, I bet he was about down to 95 pounds. Um, looked much older than he was. So I stopped the car and I jumped out. I said, Dad, he recognized me. I was able to go get groceries with him and just talk with him as we shopped. At the end, I walked him to his car and helped him with his groceries and told him I loved him and I hugged his neck. I knew he was sick, and honestly, I believe my dad had cancer, but because he wouldn't go to the doctor, nobody really knows. But you kind of know how a person looks when they're battling some sort of illness like that. Uh, 
about a month later, my, my aunt, his sister, called me and told me he wasn't doing good. And I knew it. And I got a nudge from the Holy Spirit, and I got a nudge from my husband to go see him and ask him if he knew where he was going to go when he died. And that was so hard. I think sometimes it's easier to reach out to those we don't know rather than your family members. Um, it was uncomfortable. It, it was hard going up there, but I knew I had to, so I went to his house, asked him if he wanted to go for a drive. So we went for a drive. It was a beautiful day. And I asked him, I asked him if he believed in Jesus. And he said yes. He said he believed in Jesus. But he wanted me to pray for him and pray for his sins. And I thought, that's my chance. (laughs) So I prayed for everything you could think of. (laughs) I prayed with him, not just for him. We prayed together for the forgiveness of all sins. And not only that, but I reminded him of God's mercy and his love for him. And I drove him home after that. And I was very grateful for that opportunity, that moment. You never know how those kind of things are going to go. So I drove him home, gave him a hug, told him I loved him. And I left. My dad died on my birthday on December 13th. Now most people who hear about that, they're just, oh, on your birthday. What a tragic reminder on your birthday. And honestly, for a few reasons, and this isn't the time right now to share those reasons, but it was a gift because of what God revealed to me and my heart about myself and how this is going to be a reminder of what he's revealed. I buried my dad three days ago. And through all his life, he did not live for the Lord. But he accepted Christ. And I have full assurance that he is in heaven today. There is no doubt in my mind. And I praise God for his mercy and his grace. It is more than all of your sins. It's it's more than enough to cover your sins. And he loves you. He loves you and he adores you. He adores the broken. He adores the person you look at on the street and you think, man, they look tough. He loves them. He loves you. He makes things very personal and he, everything is for a reason. But you know, if you allow me to say this very uh, human phrase, You won't find it in the Bible. I don't want to arrive in heaven by the skin of my teeth. I know that's not how it's going to be, but 
you know what I'm trying to say. I don't want to live for myself or be stuck in my bondages or strongholds and just barely make it at the last minute. I want to come rip-roaring up there. I want to skid to a stop at my father's feet. I want to go face down and say, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I want to live this day and the days ahead the way my Father in heaven wants me to. And I think you do too. I, last night, I just felt like the Lord saying, we come to church on Sundays, but we're dry as a bone in the pews. I've been there. And I, I just want to say to you, to keep pressing in, to keep seeking the Lord. He might be silent for a time. And I've heard it said that oftentimes the, the teacher is silent during the test. I've also, I also know that sometimes we let so many noises come in that we can't hear his still small voice. I just want to encourage you, if you're dry as a bone in the pews today, to keep pressing in because God is faithful and he will meet you right where you are. Always. He's good. Always. Through the hard times. Through the good times, he's always good. One last thing. I didn't really grow up with a godly spiritual father to give me godly wisdom. Some of you might be the same. Maybe it's a mother or a grandmother you had longed to hear some godly wisdom from. And you may not have noticed or known this, but there are many of you in here today by maybe a kindness you've shown me or a, something you said or something I observed in you You've become that spiritual father to me. God is our ultimate father, yes, but sometimes you just, you just need that flesh and bone right beside you as an example to see and to learn from. And there's many men here and many women here who have been my spiritual mothers or my spiritual grandmothers. And I thank you so much. I love this church. I love... I love the fact that we lift each other up in prayer, that we absolutely care about each other. We love each other. So thank you. Thank you for loving on me and my family. Thank you for being those spiritual, my spiritual family. Thank you, Laura. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. What what you just heard was a graphic example of of the church. A, a woman who grew up without some of those family elements has grown in in the Lord because of the church.
when she led her father to faith in Christ, if you had an effect upon Laura, then you're going to share in the celebration and in the reward forever. Because you ministered. When I first met Laura, she was in her late teens. And, and so many people have spoken things into her. And, and now as she ministers, as she is, not, not goes to church, but she does go to church, but as she is the church and as you are the church, as you are the church to each other, you change each other and you will go the distance. This is one of those essentials. But if you view this place like a club, it will never change you. If you just come in, sit down, stand up and leave, if you come to be served and not to serve, then you will miss out on so much. This morning I challenge you again. Don't just come to church, be the church. Be the body of Christ. Walk this journey with other people. Now I told you earlier, we're gonna conclude this service in a most wonderful and powerful way. Because the focus of, of, of this time together has never been about what I share or what Laura shared, but what Jesus wants to do in you. I'm going to ask those who are here, if you would assist me, please. If you would assist me to, um, we're going to distribute these elements this morning, and go ahead and, gentlemen, as soon as you receive those, go ahead and start distributing those. Those are my directions to you. And uh, thank you. Go ahead and spread these out here. Thank you, gentlemen. Go ahead and start distributing those. A, 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 a word of direction, please. Uh, we observe what is called open communion. If you're here and you're visiting, you're not a member of this church, <laughs> but you're a part of the body of Christ. Would you take that and hold it? Uh, please hold it until everyone has received, and then we're going to read some scripture reminding us of what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and then we're going to receive these emblems together. So please hold them until everyone has, has received. And one other directive to you, the Bible says that we are to search ourselves, that we are to examine ourselves. And so in these next few moments, our musicians are going to be singing and bringing. And as you're listening to that, I would also ask you to, uh, to do some inward reflection, a scan, if you will. Lord, is there anything that I need to surrender to you right now? It can happen right now. We're not going to have an altar time like we often do, but, but right where you are, just Say, Lord, I surrender this to you. 
maybe you have one of those strongholds that Laura spoke of a few moments ago. And, and, and Jesus wants to do a work in, in you.